It's been great the last few weeks. Uh, we've been going through this at the movie series. But before we get into that this morning, I want to kind of just just press pause on that and take us to a different headspace. Um, as a nation, we've been in a crazy spot for several years now, the last few months and even the last few weeks have been particularly crazy. And then this past week with the events in Charlotte, uh, you know, it starts to bring things home when you see your, your home state on the news, right? Um, I would like to take a second this morning uh, just to, to take kind of a, a time of silence and some prayer about what's happening. Uh, and I want to encourage us as a body, as a, as a family, that we be people in this community who lead the charge in uh, whether it be unity across racial boundaries or, uh, you know, different ethnic boundaries or whether it's just uh, personality boundaries, whether it's political boundaries that we say, you know, it's, it's not going to be those things, those differences that define us. Uh, let's, let's unify under the things that make us one, and that's that we're human uh, and that we're loved by God. And so uh, I, I hope that we can be, be people in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, uh, that we'd be the people who, when things get out of control, we can say, stop, no. This is not what we need to do. This is not helping. Um, and so let's just have a moment. I'd like to pray over that. And if you could join me in prayer as well, let's do that right now. God, you, you've seen this play out already uh, through history over and over again as uh, civilizations have risen and fallen and grown and expanded and figured themselves out. And so when you see what we're dealing with, you, you see a fuller picture also being all-knowing and all-powerful, you look at it and you, and you know how it's going to play out. But as we sit, uh, we have nervous nights. and uh, I know many of us have friends in, in places like Charlotte where um, we get scared for them and we're nervous. And I know that cities like Wilmington are just really one, one moment, one event from an eruption as well. Lord, what I pray today is not... Not just protection and safety over the situation, though indeed that's what our heart wants us to pray for. But what I pray for is for your light to shine blindingly into this world. And that in that brightness, people can look towards it and see it as a beacon of hope and of peace. And the other, the other things that seem like they're going to fix all of our problems that aren't you, that they're empty without your hope. Father, may we stand by our statement of shining light in dark places, whatever that means as the time comes. And um, in our moments of distress and fear, anxiety, uncertainty, that we turn to you for our comfort. We turn to you for our answers. We open your word. We pray. We turn to one another for encouragement. And that we can be here for the rest of our city and our state and our nation as we just do what we can to love. Um, we love you. We place these these items before your feet at your throne room and know that you have always been faithful. Um, and so at that place, we walk away and say we're going to do the best we can just to love and serve, knowing that you have our best interests in mind. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue praying about those events yourself as well. Um, so we've been in this At The Movie series, and it's been fun. Uh, we've been doing this thing, if you're new this week or haven't been around, this is where we've been for the last about month. Uh, we're taking a look at different movies 
specifically superhero movies, and we're using those as a kind of a, a diving board into bigger, deeper issues about God, about Jesus, about truth, about the Bible. And so we've, we've experienced a lot of cool superhero stories. The first week we looked at Captain America, and we talked about how uh, God, through his mighty spirit, can take an average or ordinary Joe and turn them into a spiritual super soldier, uh, just like what happened with Captain America. We looked at the Green Lantern, and we saw uh, how uh, great faith can help us overcome great fear. Uh, we looked last week, it kind of got kind of deep last week, didn't it? We looked at Batman and we discussed the problem of, of pain and asked this question, what do I do with all this pain? And it's been neat to look at the lens of these popular characters, superheroes, to see what we can learn from their stories and more importantly, what we can learn from, uh, from the Bible. Uh, if you missed any of these messages, I want to encourage you to go check out our podcast uh, at jointheventure.com and you can click on uh, resources, I think. There's a podcast drop-down menu there. Um, but today, I think the subject that we're going to cover is, is possibly the most universal topic that we could maybe bring up. Uh, it's one of them. It's easily one of the top ten most universal, most relatable subjects. And it's such a huge, such a massive, such an industrial scale issue that I think we could all relate to that not just any old puny average superhero could do with it. No, it's got to be a huge, massive superhero. And so each week I've had fun kind of revealing the superhero to, to you guys as we got to it. And now I'm ready to reveal this week's hero He's huge, he's massive, and maybe you've recognized this guy, the Incredible Hulk. Yes, Hulk smash, this is a big guy, he's huge. Uh, like many heroes recently, he's had kind of a makeover on the big screen, he's been part of the Avengers movies, had an even standalone movie by himself, uh, and uh, he's been a big hit. And, and if you don't know much about the story of Hulk, a lot of people don't, they just know he's the big green you know, oaf, uh, it's, it's actually pretty complicated, he's got a pretty intricate, complicated story. I wanna give you the quick like uh, Hulk smash version of his story, kind of how it adds up. Basically it's this, Hulk, uh, like I said, he's a complicated character, Character. His true identity is this likable genius scientist named Bruce Banner. Okay, uh, this guy, this Bruce Banner, he's a, he's a looker, right? That guy's a scientist? Sign me up for science. Um, and so, but what happens is this brilliant guy, Bruce, one day he's exposed to this uh, gamma radiation and, and he's mutated. And the mutation that he experiences is that every time he gets angry, he begins to change. His muscles begin to grow. He starts to turn green and he turns back into this guy. So that's Bruce Banner. And that's his big dilemma in life is that he, if he doesn't control his character, he turns into a monster. And so when Bruce Banner gets mad, he, he turns into the Incredible Hulk. And here's the key. The madder he gets, the stronger he gets, which sounds pretty cool, like on the surface. You're like, man, especially when you're ready to kick somebody's butt, right? You're like, man, if I could just be bigger and stronger... But it doesn't take long to realize the downfall of that particular power, right? I mean, you, you realize that with this great power, all of a sudden, you, you can hurt people. And you can cause problems. And it's not great. It actually causes a lot of problems for Bruce Banner as he deals with it. Uh, often as Hulk, he will leave a wake of destruction in, in the path that as he kind of just, just rams through life. He comes to, he wakes up again as Bruce Banner after the fit is over. And he looks back and he's like, did I do that? And he's devastated and he can't stand it. In general, he does his best to use his powers for good, but sometimes he doesn't. Uh, one little part of his story is that as the Hulk, uh, he's not as intelligent anymore. Actually, he's kind of slow. And so the bad guys have discovered that. And so they tap into his slowness, slowness every now and then. And they will play that to their advantage and use him on their side. Hulk 
has this long, complicated story. And most recently, it's been played out through the Avengers movies. Um, and so I want to show you a video clip just to kind of give you a picture. And it's a cool scene that we're going to see uh, where we see his friend. Uh, she's Black Widow is the name of this other superhero. She's kind of his romantic interest, which is kind of weird. Um, but, uh, and, and she has this, this, this moment with him that we capture when Hulk finds himself again and turns back into Bruce. Just check out this touching moment. Hey, big guy. Sun's getting real low. You know, that scene, you see really the entirety of Hulk's dilemma, because inside that big green monster is Bruce, and he's in there, and he doesn't like the person that he becomes when he is the Hulk. In fact, there's other times where, though uh, she's able to keep him in control sometimes, there's, there's scenes in the recent movies where he's actually fought against her and caused her harm, and he hates that about himself. He just can't control himself when he, on his own, you know, without outside help. He's living in this all-too-common dilemma. It's like, it's like he finds this rule at work, that although he wants to do good, evil is right there with him, and he can't seem to shake it. And it's from that point that I just want to ask you, does that sound familiar to you? Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me, and I can't seem to shake it. The struggle that Bruce Banner wrestles with is, it's an everyday struggle that I know that I deal with. I mean, every day. And my guess is that it's happening in your life too. And, and I want to kind of call that something today. It's a war. It's a war within. And maybe you don't turn into a big green you know, monster, but you probably turn into somebody that you don't like a whole lot. I know that as a person that I want to be, and then every now and then this person that I don't want to be shows up, and I look at them, and I'm like, who are you and where did you come from? And, and to coin a phrase for us today and give us a vocabulary to work with, what happens to me is I kind of hulk out. You ever hulk out? You're like, Hulk smash. And for you, it might not be anger. Like, it's not anger. Maybe you do have anger issues. A lot of us do. Uh, it's actually, uh, statistically, I believe, as some things that I've read, anger is one of the biggest struggles that particularly men have, just trying to, we don't articulate our emotion real well, so it's like there's this whole category of emotion. It's, it's all anger. Like, it's just... Ladies are like, I'm, I'm frustrated. Like, I'm just angry. I mean, I don't want to specify it anymore. Maybe it is anger, but maybe you hulk out in other ways. Like maybe for you, it's worry. Like you just stress out and you get super anxious about stuff. And no matter how much you try to tell yourself, like everything's going to be okay, stop freaking out. You sound just like your mother right now, like whatever it is. And you're doing it, but, you, and, and, but at the heart, you don't want to be this person who's a worry wart, but you just hulk out. 
And you can't seem to control yourself and everybody else around you sees it and you can't seem to stop. And maybe for you, um, it, it's, it's the way you treat your family, your spouse, your kids. And, and you get home knowing like, I'm gonna do different than yesterday. I'm gonna talk more. I'm gonna be less reserved. I'm gonna, whatever, I'm gonna do whatever it is that I know I need to do. But then you get in the scenario and what happens? You hulk out. The person that you don't wanna become kind of comes out, out of you and you become that person that you hate. It's that addiction that you told yourself you weren't going to go back to. And maybe you've, you've, you've had the intervention and you've been to the therapy, but then when this moment presents itself, you're just like, and you hulk out. And you become this person that you don't want to come. Maybe you lie, maybe you cheat, maybe you judge people unfairly. Whatever it is that causes you to hulk out. That's why I said this may be one of the most universal ideas that I think everyone deals with. That whether you have a background in Christianity and church or, or not, and maybe you just showed up here for the first time, I think most of us can be like, yeah, I find this law at work. That though I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And I can't seem to shake it. And this dilemma can be debilitating, can it? And there are times when you just find yourself in this spot and you're like, how do I change? How do I do differently? If that's you, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, and it probably is most of us. And I want you to know that you're not alone. We could actually probably just put these chairs in a big circle and just have a big old meeting right now. Hello, my name's Chris, and I battle with the monster within. Hi, Chris, right? And we could go around the room and we could all tell our stories because it is universal. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I hope that that's the truth for you today. I also want to say that if you're someone who hasn't done church, or maybe you're here for the first time, or it's been a long time since you've been involved in church, or you've got doubts about the Bible and God and all this stuff, but for whatever reason you found yourself here, a friend invited you and you just came, or you just were driving by and you thought there was like great food at the school cafeteria, so you just <laughs> stopped in, like whatever brought you here this morning, I want to invite you to do this. Sit back and listen. See how this resonates with you. And know that the answers and the ideas that are supplied here are kind of the heart and the foundation of what Christianity is. And maybe you can just come back next week and experience it again and again and again and see where that takes you. At Venture Church, we love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And today we're going to have a visit with one of our favorite people, the Apostle Paul. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Pull it out. We'll be in Romans chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, we give away Bibles for free uh, every week, and so there's some kind of scattered underneath your seats there. You can feel free to pick that up if you need a good, readable version of the Bible, and you can write your name in the front cover, and it's yours. You can take it home. Uh, also, what we're reading is going to be behind me on the screen, but we'll be in Romans chapter 7, which is in the New Testament of the Bible, and Romans is a letter uh, that Paul writes to uh, some Christians in Rome to kind of give them some teaching, some instruction. The Apostle Paul, uh, before he was a Christian, uh, had a, a struggle. Let me, let me give a, a little profile of Paul if you don't know who he is. Uh, Paul is, is best known for being the first Christian missionary to the non-Jewish world. He also uh, traveled the Mediterranean Sea area and planted dozens of churches. In some places he would stay for years at a time and he began to establish and build these communities and everything. So that's Paul. And, and he's also probably most famous for writing the majority of the New Testament of the Bible. That's this guy Paul. But before he was all that, Paul struggled 
with some serious, serious sin in his life. In fact, uh, before he even became a Christian, uh, he, he was a, a kind of super legalistic zealot of Judaism. His actual job was to be part of this holy war between the Jews and this new sect of religion called Christianity, or the way is what they call themselves. And, and his job was to kind of hunt down Christians and force them to renounce their faith in Jesus at the threat of death. And he oversaw executions of Christians. Isn't that crazy? And in modern terms, he would be considered probably a, a, an extremist terrorist because this is what Paul did. But Paul meets, he encounters Jesus, and it changes everything about him and becomes a, a new person. Paul was only human, and he had this dilemma, the same dilemma that we're talking about, the same dilemma that we talked about with Hulk, where he would hulk out over certain, certain issues. And so once in the book of Romans, Paul describes this dilemma. And I don't know that I could have ever put it in any better words than Paul does here. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through Romans chapter 7, 15. Uh, we'll eventually get all the way to 25. And, and look at Paul discussing this dilemma and just let him teach it to us. Because we can all just kind of sit here and be like, yep, I know exactly what you're saying. We're in Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 15. This is what Paul says. He starts out like this. I do not understand what I do. Can we pause right there? Anybody feeling me right there? Like you step back and you look at what you just did and you're like, my bad. I do not understand what I do. Keep reading. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, then I agree that the law is good. I got to explain that real quick, okay? The law is God's kind of code of conduct for the Jews. They're the things that say, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. And so if you say, I'm going to try to live by the law, then what you're saying is, I agree that the law is good. So he's saying to himself, you know, and when I have this struggle, when I don't do the things that I want to do, I'm agreeing that the law is good. Verse 17 says, but as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living inside me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, and this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that makes me do it. And if that sounds confusing to you, you're not alone. I got a friend who, uh, he calls this the doo-doo passage. And uh, like, on one hand, you're like, that's inappropriate. But on the other hand, I bet you'll never forget it. Um, this is the doo-doo passage. This thing I want to do, thing I don't want to do. And you're just like, I do, don't, I don't do. And it's confusing. And it's back and forth. But I tell you what, if, if you've been awake in the last couple years of your life, you probably resonate with this, right? I know what I want to be, but it seems like I keep getting in my own way. Uh, it reminds me of, um, have you ever had this moment? You wake up in the middle of the night. You've been laying on your arm funny. <laughs> And you wake up and you're like, oh man, I can't feel my arm. <laughs> you ever have that? And I've, I've had this and you're just kind of like, okay, all right. You, I can't feel my fingertips. Like there's this moment where my brain is telling my hand to do something, but I just, what hand? I can't feel it. Maybe you haven't had that happen. Maybe you had another part of your body just fall asleep. I was one time, I was uh, speaking at an event in, an event in uh, Raleigh and I was actually on a panel of speakers and there were several of us who were asking her questions and whatever. And I sat there, it was like 30 minutes we were sitting there and I'm sitting in this seat and I've got my leg crossed. And so then the time's up and we're getting off stage. And I uncross my leg and I go to stand up and don't realize my, my right leg has completely fallen asleep. It's done, okay? 
Not only that, when I stand up, all the blood that was in my head, I guess, rushes to my leg to like say, wake up. So I stand up, I'm in front of a couple hundred people, and all of a sudden, I'm like a drunken one-legged pirate who forgot his peg leg. <laughs> I cannot tell you how I got off the stage, but when I, when I think about that moment, I remember, it's like my brain was telling my leg, like, walk, but I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and I get off stage. I tell my body to move and it won't move. When your, when your arm falls asleep, when your leg falls asleep, and there's nothing that you can do about it, it sounds a little bit like what Paul is ex- describing here. The things I want to do, I, I can't seem to do. I'm telling myself. And that's why in verse seven, in 15, verse 15, he, he says this. He says, I, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. This section of Romans um, spends a lot of time talking about two realities. And I could read, you know, before and after this, and you would see this. But there's like two realities that Paul really wants to create, this dichotomy. Dichotomy means two parts. And it's like there's two realities that we face. Uh, The first reality is the reality of the flesh. Okay, and then there's a second reality, the reality of the spirit. And he draws a contrast between these two realities. Because, see, at our core, we are spirit, I mean, all of us, I think, would recognize, like, there's more to me than just what I look like and what I, what I feel like, and I could, you know, I could have a, a, my, my foot amputated, but I would still be me, because at my core, I'm spirit, and our spirit uh, lives on in another kind of realm, kind of beyond us, uh, so there's this other part of us, it's our flesh, right? It's our flesh, and it's the world that we live in. I like to think of it like uh, it's the container for our soul, you know, we're just, we're just in there, and you all have experienced this if you've ever been to a funeral, and there's this moment like, you know, grandma is not there. You know, that's just her body. She personally is not there. The things that made her her are no longer there. And so there's this dichotomy. There's this two realities, this reality of the spirit, the reality of the flesh. And here's the thing. The flesh can work in good unison with the spirit. In fact, that's how God created us to work, and he desires for us to work, so that our spirit and our flesh work in unison to accomplish things in this world. But Paul brings up the dilemma of the flesh. The dilemma of the flesh is what he calls sin. They're kind of interchangeable in his, in his vocabulary. He sometimes calls it the sinful nature. It's that, um, it's that kind of, that tendency we have to do things that go contrary to the way God created us to be. It's, it's sin, it's, it's fleshliness, it's earthliness. It's our sinful nature. And so when he talked about that there in this passage we just read, that's what he's talking about. And something starts to happen when the first time we sin. The first time we begin to live in a way contrary than how God desires us to live and how God created us to live, the first time we do that, something happens because our flesh has acted, something happens in our spirit. And our spirit, which was once alive and thriving and in communion with God, begins to die. That's the dilemma. That's the dilemma of the flesh and the spirit. And it's really deep theology, uh, and it can be explored a whole lot more. Like if you were to open up the book of Romans, which I totally recommend that you do, and read it from cover to cover, I recommend you take several weeks to do it. Do it with a notebook and a pencil and, and, and take notes and ask questions and Google your questions and get some reference books. There's a lot of deep theology in there, but, but at the heart, this place in chapter 7 brings, this, brings it to a head. And this is kind of the core of what Christianity is. It's the, how do I deal with this dilemma? It's, what do I do about the hulking out? How do I 
bring unison again between the flesh and the spirit. And there's this battle going on and how do I react? And that's why Paul says, for example, in Romans 7, 19, he says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. In verse 20, nails it. He says, now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. It's, it's spiritual schizophrenia, guys. It's like, I don't know who's in charge here. And the way that I describe it in my own life is like this. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, if, if my life is a car and I'm driving, okay, you with me? And you're on your path of life and I'm just driving, looking at the scenery. It's like I'm driving along in life and then something comes up and triggers this moment for me where I go from driving the car and then all of a sudden in the blink of an eye, it seems, I'm in the back seat and somebody else is driving and we're going to a place I don't want to go. And I'm in the back seat going, no, 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 don't go there. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't look at that. Don't be with that. Whatever. And I'm yelling from the back seat, stop, stop, stop. But whoever's driving is like, uh-uh. we're going where I want to go. And in verse 21, Paul says this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Sound familiar? We talked about it a few times already this morning, and that passage comes right out of what Paul says. He keeps saying in verse 22, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Like, I, I want to do good. And if you have some experience with God in church and, you, and you've seen what that can do in your life, you, you want to have that. But verse 23 says, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner does that word resonate? A prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And for those of us who have hit rock bottom a moment or two in our life, and, you hit, and I've hit it several times, and it seems like it's, every time I get there, I'm like, oh, I didn't even know about this corner of the rock bottom. <laughs> didn't know that existed. Thought I had already discovered it all. For those of us who have hit that moment, verse 24 sums it all up, and I want us to feel maybe some peace in the fact that Paul felt this too. Verse 24, he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And Paul finds himself at the bottom. Tim Keller is a pastor, uh, an author, brilliant theologian. I listen to him a lot and re read his stuff and love it. Uh, he calls this whole passage, he calls uh, this idea... And I want to give you a word that you can hang on to. He calls this the battle we cannot win. This is a battle you cannot win, which sounds kind of bleak, right? It's like, oh, great. Thanks for that encouraging shot in the arm. Let's all go and conquer the world now. This is a battle you can't win, guys. Um, but the truth is, if it's left just up to me, if it's just left up to you, then the battle is unwinnable because I feel like these are the options we're left with, Okay. Like, I'm hulking out, I've discovered this law of sin at work in me, and these are my options. A, I live a perfect life. Like, the only way to actually be good is to never be bad, okay? So, I just live a perfect life. And if you're like me, you've already blown that option. <laughs> so, it's like, well, that's out. Or option B is, you just say, well, fine, I'm just going to change teams. How am I going to win this battle? I'm going to fight for the one that seems to be winning. And we just give in to evil and bad, and, and we let the Hulk come out. It just become the Hulk. And when you look at those two options, like most of us look at the second option, we're like, well, that's not really an option. That's just giving up, right? But I think we all have either have moments where we were really tempted to do that or we know people who just have. They're like, forget it. 
I'm just not even gonna try anymore. But no one's perfect, and giving up is a terrible idea. So then what other option do I have? I wanna give us hope. There, there is another option, it's fantastic. Uh, and I wanna say, Paul has spent, we're in chapter seven of Romans, okay? So it's important for me to say, Paul has spent seven very well-written chapters of a long letter that he writes building up to this moment. It's almost not fair for us to jump right into the middle of Romans and start teaching. Like you almost need to start at the very beginning and go page by page and get us there. But, but he spent a long time building up this case. And right here is almost exactly in the middle of the book of Romans. And it's right here as, as chapter seven turns into chapter eight that he takes a serious turn. And it's what Tim Keller rephrases. He, we go from a battle that we cannot win to the second thing, a battle that we cannot lose. Now, that's encouraging, and I want to see how Paul mentions it in Romans chapter 8 now. We're crossing over in chapter 8. He says this. Actually, sorry. We've got to go back to verse 25. Verse 25 in chapter 7. He says, but thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of sin that's leading me to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. A surprise, church people. Guess what the answer is? Jesus. Once again, he comes up as the solution to this issue that we're battling. And so Paul takes some time to teach us about Jesus. Now we move over to chapter 8. I love I loved verse 1 of chapter 8. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Take that in for a second. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Like, that means of all the times I've hit rock bottom and the worst things that I've done and experienced, that somehow through Jesus, I don't have to suffer a penalty for that. One that I earned and deserve. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In verse 2, he keeps going. He says, he explains why. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, that's God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus comes in and we're chained up by this, this monster that's living inside us, which is knowing that we do bad and every, I want to do good, but the bad is right there with me. And we're chained up by that. And then Jesus comes in with these big old bolt cutters and says, freedom go about your day I got you it set us free from the law of sin and death and Paul says in verse 3 for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin in the flesh. Let's leave that verse up there because it's, it's a lot going on there. First of all, it says the law was power, powerless because of the weakness of the flesh. The law is, you know, like I said, it's, it's a code of conduct to make God happy or to, to live the holy life that God has designed us to live. But guess what? That only works if we can do it, if we can be perfect. And since we're fleshly and we sin, though the law, law is good and the law is powerful, it's weakened by our flesh. Because why? We blow it. We blow it. So what does God do? He says, I'm going to come down there. 
God sending his son is another way. It's kind of like a, a nickname, shortcut way of saying this is what God did when he became a man. Look what it said. So the son had the likeness of sinful flesh. He put on skin. He comes into the very thing that holds us prisoner. But instead of making the wall weak because of his flesh, Jesus lives a life that's perfect. He upholds the law. Not only that, he comes and he defeats the very thing that defeats us, which is death. He says, I'm going to live a perfect life. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to stick it to death, and I'm going to raise by my own power from the dead. And if you believe in me, you can have a piece of that, and I can bring you life. Verse 4 shifts now from what Jesus did to the, what about me? Great, that's great. Jesus did all that. That's great. What about me? Verse 4 says this. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Like I couldn't live on it up by myself. But Jesus says, now you can. Because I've done it for you. Those of us, in the second half of verse 4, who do not live according now to the flesh, but instead according to the spirit. There's the two realities and we get to cross over from a life focused on the flesh to a life that can now live in the spirit the way we were designed to live. And we're gonna have times when we hulk out, right? We're gonna have times when we feel weak and when we become the person that we don't wanna become. When we don't live the way that we know we should, but it doesn't have to be the battle that you can't win anymore. It doesn't have to be a trap that we're stuck in. It doesn't have to be a slavery. It doesn't have to be a prison as he describes it. Instead, it can take a transition into a battle that we cannot lose because Jesus has already fought the fight. He's already won the battle and he's already given us the victory. If you turn to Jesus with your life, he fights for you. He's already taken the punishment for your sin and then he enrolls us into his army. Remember this is a battle? He's like, okay, come be in my army. I tell you what, we got a general who's never lost. And he'll fight for you, and he'll win for you every time. Jesus gives us victory over sin, and that's what it means to be a Christian. To live in that grace, to live in that forgiveness, to live in that place of, whoa, we won. We won, we were losing, and we could never win, and now we can't lose. Because Jesus is fighting for us, which is great. It's awesome, and that's the celebration of Christianity. That's what it is. But I find often when I come to a place like this in Scripture, I'm like, well, that's great. It's theological, and it's deep, and it probably would make a great book. But what about me? Because me, I still hulk out every now and then. Like, I'm a person, I've been a Christian for a, a long time now. And so, and I'm like, okay, well, then Jesus has already fought the fight for me, so then I shouldn't have any struggles anymore, right? Anybody who's ever been a Christian for more than about five minutes? You ever uh, had temptation, struggle with sin? Yeah, it's right there. Jesus or Paul says, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Paul wrote this as a Christian, right? So he's not saying the problems are going to go away. What he's saying is, even though there's a big spiritual battle happening all around us, and there's a smaller one happening inside of us every day, we can get stronger, we can grow, we can begin to overcome it, and even when we do hulk out, there's still forgiveness. So what do I do in my day-in, day-out routine to, to make this work for me? Um, there's a lot of ways I think I, I battled through trying to describe this and give us gimmicks and give us things that we could take home and like, you know, kind of hang your hat on. What can I do? And I landed on this story that I've told several times as part of our Venture Basics class, actually. And so those of you who are about to take the Venture Basics class, which, by the way, starts today at 530. And if you haven't signed up yet and you still want to take Venture Basics, you can still sign up today and you're, t you're in. You're totally in. Um, but uh, it's, it's part of some of the stuff we discussed. But there's this story, and it kind of goes like this. It's an old Cherokee uh, Indian lore. And uh, it goes like this. One evening, 
an old Cherokee told his grandson, my son, there's a battle between two wolves inside all of us. One wolf is evil. It's it's anger and envy and jealousy, sorrow and regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, falsehood, superiority, ego. There's this bad wolf and it's inside of us. There's another wolf though. The other wolf is good. It's joy, peace, and love, patience, kindness, serenity, humility, patience, empathy, generosity, compassion, faith. It's a good wolf. And the bad wolf and the good wolf are fighting one another. The grandson takes some time to think about that, okay? And he comes back to his grandfather a little while later and he says, okay, I get that there's two wolves. Which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one that you feed will win. The one that you starve will lose. When you become a Christian, God's Holy Spirit moves into your life. And he gives you power, like we talked about in week one in this series. He gives you power to overcome this stuff. But God also created us as beings with free will to do whatever we want to do with our lives. And so even as he moves in, he says, it's still your your ball. It's in your court. What do you want to do with the life I've given you? And I think what the grandfather says to the grandson is huge. The side that you feed will win. We're going to hulk out. But how do we prevent it from going crazy? And how do we prevent the hulk from taking over completely? You feed the good. You know, every time uh, you feed the spiritual side of yourself, you're feeding the good. You're making yourself strong enough to step up to the next thing. You know, every time you read your Bible, you're feeding the good. Every time you pray, it feeds the good side. Every time you memorize a Bible verse, it hit me this week and it's huge, and I hope they say this for years to come. You know, when you memorize scripture, it's like canning spiritual food to put on the shelf for later. Think about that. Like, because now it's in you, it's in my head. So maybe I don't have like some super encouraging friend I can call right now, but wait, I memorized this scripture and it deals exactly with what I'm dealing with. I tell you what, the Holy Spirit will reach into that pantry and pull it out for you. It's happened to me so many times. And guess what? When you memorize scripture, it feeds the good now and later. And that stuff's got some serious shelf life. Let me tell you, it sticks around. Every time you serve somebody in the name of Jesus, you feed the good. And every time um, you spend time with other Christians and, and you're encouraged, you feed the good. And every time you attend church or small group, or you stand and you worship like on a Sunday, or maybe just in your car listening to K-Love or some CD you bought at a Christian bookstore or downloaded from some, you know, some website, you're feeding the good. And every time you try to share God's love with somebody else, not only are you feeding the good, but you're helping to feed them. And the feeding continues. And you may not realize it when you do those types of things, but what it's doing is it is strengthening the spiritual side of you. Your soul. So that next time you're tempted, next time you feel like hulking out, you're less likely to do it. Why? Because by feeding the good, you're starving the bad. And it doesn't have the power over you that it used to have. And it's not going to be able to consume you or control you or rule you. And the stronger you get, the more often you'll find that you don't turn to that old you anymore. And you might hulk out. From time to time, it happens. There's bad days, there's bad weeks, there's bad months. Things come up that you didn't expect. But don't hulk out. Don't give up, don't lose hope because you gotta also know that Jesus has already defeated 
death for you. He's overcome the flesh for you. Why? So that you can live. So that you can celebrate life with him. And I just want to close today with this verse. We already read it, but it's in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. And so therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Can I pray for us today? Let's pray. God, what a wretched man I am. If I sit and think about the shameful parts of me and who I am, uh, it puts a spotlight on on the Hulk inside of me. Um, But God, you've given me victory over that. And to think that there's no condemnation by simply just exchanging my life for faith in you. I thank you for blessing me with the life you've given me. Lord, I, I pray that as we as a church family stand here and think through this, God, that we can become more and more aware that like this reality of the spirit and the reality of the flesh is, is what's wrong with the world today. Is that we put so much stock in the flesh and in this world and, and we, we, we trust politics and economics and education and, uh, and occupation. We trust these things to save us. But in doing so, we're fighting a battle we can't win. But God, I, I pray that instead we can one by one turn our lives over to you realizing that we're not perfect, but that you come down and you, you sanctify us and you make us somehow worthy to say, thank you, Lord, we love you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for that grace and that forgiveness. You are good. You are good. Help us to feed the good within each of us so that we can give you honor with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.